I don't know about you, but I start to think more and more about my retirement. Perhaps it's the sign of getting older, or perhaps I have less and less time for the fun things I would like to do. I recently sat down with Dirk Stockmans, who is not only a long-time Luxembourgish resident, but he's also retired. Thanks to the free time Dirk now has, he's involved in many activities. In fact, your and my guest peels up his weeks with such a variety of projects that I have split our conversation into two separate episodes. In this episode, I talk with Dirk about his career at the European Commission, starting as a translator, and how he transitioned to the Commission's IT department. And we also talk about his hobby, photography, and how he started by taking the photographs at jazz concerts and festivals. I hope you enjoy it and stay tuned for the next episode with Dirk. Hi, I'm Konrad and these are the Chronicles of Curious Characters. We feature a new character in each episode and their unique story. We explore their backgrounds and their passions. We focus on the melting pot of Luxembourg, but every now and then we will have guests from other countries. We'll be talking to locals and expats about what they love to do, what they're enthusiastic about in life, and what makes Luxembourg such a special place for them. So I'm Dirk Stockmans. I know tend to say I was born in Belgium, but I've lived here in Luxembourg for 32 years, more than half my life. I came here as a translator working for the European Commission. I then became a manager in translation. I then moved for the last six years of my career to IT, but I have always been involved in, in, in IT and in computers even from my student times. So languages and technology have basically been interwoven throughout all my career. Oh, that's very interesting. You mentioned that you started your career as a translator. Mm -hmm. How many languages do you speak? Well, it depends what you call active or inactive. I, uh, of course, in Belgium, you learn, my mother tongue is, is Dutch. Then we learn French, even at the age of 10. Afterwards, English and German. Then I studied as a translator with main languages, English and German, added a little bit of French, took on then exotic language, which was Danish, which I did for four year, for, for three years during my normal study. I continued that for another year in, in Brussels in another translation institute. And there I started learning also Italian, which I continued in evening classes during my um, military service, which was here in Ireland, just across the border. And then at a certain point in around 91, 92, December 92, I started learning a very exotic language then, which was Finnish. And it took me, it was the most difficult language I ever learned. And it took me about four years to get more or less comfortable with it. And at that point, I met the lady who is now my wife. 
I, I try to keep up and listening and, and counting how many languages you speak. And I think it was like at least six, between six and eight languages. I did, uh, did a little bit of, of Norwegian and Swedish in between, but I've never really used it. This is impressive for me. I, I, I'm, I'm Polish. I speak English. I struggle with French. And now I really struggle learning Luxembourgish. How did, did you manage to learn so many languages? Is there a trick or tips for being able to, well, learn the words, the grammar? I guess the grammar is slightly different for, for each country. I think it gets easier the more languages you know because you have more references. And I noticed this particularly when we were studying. We were a rather big group of about 30 translators studying in, as of 92 and we were always referring to the systems that we knew. Yeah. Ah, yes, this is a bit like in English where you used another verb together with, with, with a verb. For instance, I do know, I do not know. So even the ways of saying no or don't, you change those. And for the rest, it's partly hard work and also the interest. I mean, and that, of course, is there, there's a lot of interest, even if you don't know beforehand. And that, that really helps. One thing we had to do when I was studying, our one of our English teachers said, I want you to listen to the BBC and make some notes so you're concentrating. And I want you to do that every day God make, makes. And I don't care whether you're religious or not, meaning every single day. And that really helped me because you, you get an ear for the language. And, and it's something I have decided now to start doing for Luxembourgish, because I also want to learn Luxembourgish. And with knowing French and German and Dutch, I understand everything. I just have to figure out the grammar. And working as a translator, I, I, I guess it's a quite stressful work because, especially for the translator, such as the European Commission or the European Parliament, which is a political institution, where translating precisely what someone said and means is very important because depending on the words that you choose to translate that person, it might have a political impact mm -hmm. in the decision-making and what other politicians yeah. hear. Is that something you had to learn to pay, pay particular attention or it was something natural that came throughout the process of, of working and learning the, the language through the language. Uh, no, it's something you learn. I remember when I started as a translator, I had a few years' experience, but in, in a normal translation agency with different kinds of text, and I was always attracted by, by more technologically oriented texts, uh, telecommunications, etc. And it really took me quite a few years of being revised, and then my first text would really look very red, uh, even though the translators would say, well, it's basically good translation, but this we don't say, and this is means something else, or this you say in Belgium, you, but you don't say in, in Holland, and depending also on the type of legislation, you use particular words. So it's, I remember I just used to take notes on cards and always look them up, and then uh, and this was in the time when we, when it was purely manual. I mean, you had some dictionaries, and then you had an archive where you would go to look at old legislation, and I would really dictate, which was a, a very strange thing, because in the private sector, it already worked, but worked perfect. And when I arrived at the commission in 1990, 
we don't we didn't have any computers at all. But but then when we got since I had been working with computers before, I started saying uh, to colleagues, "Well, you can use this here, and you can use that there." And this this was the start of my technology career in the commission. So you pioneered the introduction of computers in the translation office for the printing. Yeah, fashion. I wasn't responsible, but I I was very naturally helping people out. Said said, well, I don't know how to do this, so I always get stuck on this. And I would say, oh yeah, well, I'll come and, and show you because I think I know a trick. And after a while, I was nominated. What was called IT correspondent, so I would then go to meetings with the IT unit where they would present new versions and things like that. And afterwards I became chair of, of a user group. And then that gave me experience in working with groups. And that then pushed some colleagues afterwards to say, well, wouldn't you apply for this job of, of head of unit? Because we don't really want anyone from outside to come and be our boss. It would rather be that it's uh, someone who knows who knows the craft. And uh, well, that was the start of my management career. Wow, impressive. And the head of unit, was it in the translation office yes, or the digit? Okay. Yeah. And you mentioned because you did a very nice transition to your experience uh, working as a translator for technology-related topics mm -hmm. and IT. So you have worked uh, completely on the translation side or you moved then to the IT department? I worked for 26 years in, in the translation, so 13 years as a translator and another 13 years as a manager. And then the commission had this scheme of rotating managers. If you'd been for more than 10 years in one service, you were asked to rotate to another service and all across the commission. And well, my first thought was, okay, well, I've always been interested in IT. Now it would be nice to, to work on that side. And I happened to, to know the director general of IT because she had started her career also in the translation service. And we'd known several projects together. So I sent her a mail. Uh, she said, okay, well, <clears throat> let's see. We have a couple of posts open. We're not yet sure. And we're in the process of reorganizing. In the end, it was very peculiar because I had an interview with one of the directors. And he told me, yeah, okay, we've looked at your CV. And okay, uh, we have a good track record. The only thing is... We can offer you a job as a head of unit, but I cannot say yet at this moment what your unit will be doing because we're in the middle of designing the reorganization. So it was basically a jump into the dark, but I said, well, any any service where this person is, 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 is a director general, it cannot be totally wrong. So I just went for it and I never regret it. Wow, awesome. The IT part that you have worked in and I'm trying to, to think how, how to make this transition to photography <laughs> because I know that this is an interesting topic to you. When did you start working with photography and how, how the interest in photography came to you? Is that something that you started before your interest in IT or because you were interested in IT and digital photography is related to, to mm -hmm. IT because you know, if, we talk, if we think about cameras, they have operating system, they work very similar, especially these days, they, very, they work very similar to, to a computer. Uh, how that photography topic started yeah. for you? Actually, it started way before digital photography. I think I took the first photos when I was 
probably 15 or 16 with my father's camera, which was a, a very, very basic Canon AE-1, so half automatic with a 50 millimeter lens. And also what my father had at a certain moment, I think it was around the same time, or perhaps even earlier, was an old 8mm film camera with real, real uh, pellicle uh, film. I basically got interested because I, I wanted to take photos of, of surroundings and of girlfriends. And then afterwards it grew into learning more about how this works and being better at composition. And I only switched to digital photography, I think, in around 2003, when I bought a second-hand Canon D30 or 30D, one of the first Canon digital cameras, and then discovered in the wake of that how to deal with with these, how to use Photoshop, Lightroom, etc. So I actually started really very much with the analog photography, and I found out later that actually my grandfather had a photography shop but I never really discussed photography with him. He went into f- f- photography after the First World War, and they had a real shop, and he had a lake at a certain point. But it's, somehow with this come rather through the genes than through direct uh, contact. Well, you mentioned that you only switched to digital photography around 2003. I remember that in 2000. Three, uh, still, the digital photography was a novelty. Back then, I was already in Belgium, and I think I had my hands on some kind of digital camera, but it was saving the pictures on a three and a half uh, inch skit, or however you call it. There was no memory cards or anything. And I still, I think, have a couple of pictures from that camera and the quality. You, you can barely recognize yeah. people in those pictures. And I think you could save maybe up to 10 or 15 pictures on this disc. So you, I think you, you made the switch to digital ra- relatively quickly. I was, I was rather critical of the first cameras. And I mean, the first ones were, they cost thousands of euros and, and they were really for professional photographers. I remember buying one of these these cameras. I think it was an old Sony uh, for for my here second hand for my brother. And really, indeed, you could fit ten or twenty photos on a diskette, but it was it was much cheaper than the, than the memory cards. So because diskettes didn't go, didn't cost anything, and indeed you had something like photos of eight hundred times four hundred pixels or something. But I mean, good enough to to make very small prints for family album. But I was uh, I was at, at that stage already very much into jazz photography, so I was also looking at something that could deal with with higher ISOs. Even though well, anything above four hundred, eight hundred was becoming quite uh, quite grainy. I would borrow or would rent, let's say, two point eight lenses here in Photo Trade, which they did, before I finally decided then to invest in my own. And then I would go to, to jazz concerts and, and festivals like in the in Jazz à Liège and in, in Liège and over here and the Gong Jazz Festival, which was where I started. This is close to, to Neufchâteau. So Photo Trade, and I know the, the shop, they're close to the center. The Photo Trade was already existing back then? Yeah, yeah. And I would bring my films to them and I would, because when I come back from, from a festival, I I would have perhaps between 
20 and 30 rolls of film and I didn't want to print all the photos so I had them make uh, contact sheets so one film is one A4 piece and you'd see all the photos in small uh, and then I would just select from those and then have them printed professionally. And why chess particularly? It started in 96 when I got to know that there was a concert at the casino in Moldov by the jazz giant, Belgian jazz giant, Toot Stielemans, the, the, the place the harmonica. And he was playing together with two other important people. One was Philippe Catherine, guitarist, also another world-renowned musician. And I thought that, okay, well, let's try. And I phoned the guy who was organizing this and said, well, could I take photos there and I'll send you some photos afterwards? And he said, okay. And so I I <clears throat> borrowed this 7200 2.8 lens. I spent the evening uh, taking photos and I, I shared them. And I did a few other concerts uh, with that same organizer. And, and that really got me hooked. Well, first on, let's say visually, but by listening to jazz and then I appreciated also the music and then... Afterwards, the combination was all the more uh, rewarding. Because being a jazz photographer, that's a very interesting and narrow specialization. Have you ever considered going into another path instead of being a translator or, and, you know, switch progressively and be a professional photographer? I have thought about that, but what I've seen around me, what I've read from other people, and also I have a brother who, who has a sort of a degree in photography and design. And it's very difficult, it was already difficult 20 years ago to make a living from that. And uh, as we were just discussing, I think nowadays photography has become a commodity. You open the tab and photos come out. You you go on, on Google Images and or other photo sharing sites and you, you get images of anything for free. I did some exhibitions and I was lucky if from one exhibition, one or two photos were sold and mostly none. So I found out relatively quickly that it's good to have this as a passion, but as a career, it would be a struggle. But still, congratulations on having exhibitions. I mean, this is also very nice to have people look at your photographs, come to the exhibition and enjoy the picture, even though, you know, at the end of the day, it might not get sold. Yeah, no, we know it's very rewarding as well. It's just that you have to decide why you do this. If you do it for exhibitions, in the end, I built my own website, Colors of Jazz, because I was the only person at that moment who was taking color photos of jazz. Everybody else was still into black and white, because black and white film you could push harder, you could the grain didn't matter so much. But I was really captured by the colors. And then thought the, the colors really reinforced this passionate aspect of jazz and the concentration and, and sometimes the suffering of people. So, so uh, that has always been, been my style. And so uh, then gradually I started publishing more on my website. And then I think a few years ago I closed down the website because I hadn't updated it for years. And now I only publish on Flickr. I will have to check it out because yeah. I'm really surprised in a positive way, obviously, how you describe, how you see the jazz music and the color interlinked. 
I've never thought about it. To be honest, I'm also not a, a just enthusiast. But the way that you describe it, I could actually envision it and, and imagine. So I, I really look forward to, to checking your mm. Flickr page uh, after we finish talking yep. and learn more how you how you captured those two topics of the music, the jazz music and the colors and like you said, the struggles of of the musicians. So the, your website is not up anymore and you publish only on, on Flickr. Yes. Okay. And these days, do you only take digital pictures or do you also sometimes take the, I'm doing air quotes, old-fashioned photography? No, I've completely moved to digital. I I have one old analog camera, but I don't think it's, it still works. It just is not worth anything. And I used to show the kids, well, this is a roll of film, you know, this is like... <laughs> Because also I never had the patience to develop film myself because I, I didn't want to spend hours in a darkroom just to come out with three or four photos. But with the digital darkroom nowadays, you can do uh, everything. And lately, the, the past uh, years, I've been more focusing on landscape photography in two ways. Landscapes, normal. And I spent a week in uh, Tuscany last uh, September, October, which was really a revelation for me because there, I mean, you have beautiful landscapes, you have fog in the morning, you have so many different things in, in a very small area. So I was so enthusiastic that I'm organizing a photo trip with my photo club there for next May. But the other thing that I discovered a passion for is what we call time-lapse photography. With time-lapse, you would take 300 photos and then if you play them back, you have 10 seconds of video and you see the clouds move, you see the fog move over the fields and you see the sunrise or go down. And that is really, it's a new type of challenge because first of all, you work with the same composition. So the composition really has to be very good. You have to work with the light. So you have to do quite a lot of research where the sun comes up, how we will move across the frame. You have to be quite uh, particular about the exposure and how it evolves. And then afterwards, there's a lot of post-processing to to be done to put in the, in them together. You have uh, software to make sure that the small differences of exposure between the different frames don't end up in a flickering image. And you have software to deflicker that. And then you have to find how to put all these clips of 10 seconds together and make them into a movie and then add music to that. And so it has different levels of challenge. That's a very nice thing for a photographer who's done different things to to say, oh, well, I want to give myself the challenge to, to build something like that. That's That's been occupying me for the past years. And of course, the COVID times were very good because we weren't traveling. And I discovered how many beautiful landscapes we have here in Luxembourg to that kind of thing. Yes, I was actually going to ask you if you were doing this also in Luxembourg because I like to hike in Luxembourg quite a lot. And it has everything. Well, except for the mountains and the sea. Yes. <laughs> but it has, you know, a flat plains and then also a bit of hilly areas. So I think Luxembourg is also a very, very nice place to do it. How do you share those videos? Because these are videos, right? Yes. I 
I've shared a few of those on Vimeo uh, channel. And I'm sort of not quite decided whether I continue with Vimeo or go onto YouTube or I just post them on Flickr. I thought I would do I will do all that when I retire. And now I'm retired and I'm far too busy to, at this moment to uh, to find time for that. So so this is again part of the transition in retirement. Seeing okay, well now this time I will I will work on this project and really make up my mind. I would like to thank Dirk for sharing some of his life stories with us. We will continue talking with him in the next episode. In the meantime, you can find the links to Dirk's Flickr account and his Toastmasters club in the show notes. The Jazzy Tune is thanks to Alex Productions. You can find the link to his music in the show notes as well. <laughs>